0: my gosh, have we done it again, friends? We have ourselves a wonderful young woman. I have butchered her name already three times. It's Donna Baveley. And I, uh, I love this conversation. We had a little bit of almost like a challenge in the middle about that online retail company uh, that's in the car business. And, uh, and it was really fun because she's, she's so honest about how she feels. And she doesn't really care about what what I may have thought about it or where my stuff, she, I asked her a question. And she answered it, and I really really appreciate that. But what I appreciate more than anything about today's episode is, and I've said it before, her entrepreneurial spirit. She has, it. she will continue forward. She had some things that that we dealt with in the beginning of car biz that she dealt with differently than we did, and she's gone in a different path than there. So please just. Take time, it's yes, they're all long, okay? These episodes are just a bit longer than normal, but they're so packed with education. So for anyone in a dealership, but more importantly, if you're outside in outside sales to dealerships, you're going to want to hear this story. My biggest takeaway, guys, we got to get rid of the gender barriers, a bunch of bullshit. We really do. Women, men, we're all here to work together. We are people. We are humans. That is what this is about. So sit back and enjoy This delightful young woman talking all about the car business and how it is to be an entrepreneur, not only today, but as a female in a male-dominated world. Thanks a lot. See you next week. All right. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 4, Car Biz Chronicles, Season 3. I am excited today because today we get to talk about entrepreneurship. And we get to do it with a a female, strong entrepreneur female that I've been following for a while, Donna Babelie. Donna, how are you today? Babeley. I did it again. I told you I would do it. I did it again. Babeley. Donna, how Hi, are you? Today?
1: Me. I'm I'm great. Thank you so much for having for having me. I'm honored to be here.
0: You're, please, I'm honored. Every time someone says yes to me, I'm honored, you know? So I can't believe you guys agree to come on here. So <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, Donna, talk to me really quickly about what 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 are you doing right now? What's what's Donna up to in the car business today? And then we'll sort of track back to how you got here.
1: So right now, I am the digital advertising director for the dealer unit for Cartender, which is a video marketing technology company. Um, I manage and strategize all their dealer advertising campaigns and their dealer products. I'm sure uh, you've probably seen me post a couple times of you know different videos and different templates that that we've designed oh, yeah. and come up with. Um, And simultaneously, I've been building my own software, uh, which is a subscription service direct to dealers and uh, dealership leadership. Um, And I've been slowly, I'm like in the beta launch of that. And I have a couple dealers uh, using it so far since this month, actually. So it's kind of cool that, you know, we're having this interview this month. So.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And that's why I want to talk to you about the entrepreneurial side, because you've been dealing with a technology startup for over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And that is some serious entrepreneurial spirits to stick with shit like that. Let's go ahead and leave it there for a second. Let's rewind. How did Donna get involved? And at what age did she get involved in the wonderful world of the car business?
1: So uh, when I was, I think I was 21 or 22. Um, my dad uh, who was running a prominent auto group in the Northern Virginia DMB region at the time? Uh, he wanted me to get involved in, in trying to sell uh, this aftermarket product called SiloJet, which is a clear coat paint sealant and what have you. Um, he wanted me to give it a shot. My uh, I think going into my my the summer going into my senior year of college, he wanted me to try and sell it direct to dealers in Charleston, South Carolina. And see if he could sell it, you know, to different markets, um, resell it, and what have you. So um, I did the door-to-door thing uh, for a little while, but it wasn't. I didn't love it. Um, I didn't love, you know, the salesmanship aspect of it. I didn't love trying to go in there and, you know, disrupt people's days. Um, it was. It was. It was a challenge. But you know, I got. A, I got a couple deals. So.
0: So you started to do door-to-door automobile knocking on dealers doors right so that's interesting because when i started selling off anything i started selling knives uh as any good young salesperson does in their pyramid scheme lives (laughs) and so you do it right and you go door-to-door but you learn something you learn about rejection and you learn about when people how you need to overcome that objection um, What was that like the first two or three times for you? I mean, you're a female walking into a male-dominated building, as far as you could tell, when you walked into it. How, how did you sort of go, what did it look like? Yeah, like, give, give me a dry run of like first time walking into a store, like you just looked for a sales manager? How did you approach it?
1: I'm trying to think of one of the first times. I think it was one of the, I think it was like Lexus in Charleston was probably one of the first uh, stops. Um. I think what I try to do is more or less sit there in the waiting room and try and expose myself enough so that enough of the male, maybe the male leadership or the sales tower would see me before the uh, receptionist said he's not available, which she had probably already said. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll wait, um, you know, because I'm sure he's just in a meeting or, or whatever. And she, you know, she probably said, you know, come back later. But I but I said, you know, I'll wait. And I just tried to make sure that I was positioned So that they could, they could see me, I guess, Um, you know.
0: (laughs) I'll tell you something, as as a former GM, if I I told my receptionist I was in a meeting and she said, hey, he's in a meeting, and you say, cool, don't worry about it. I have a few minutes. I'll wait and see if he comes out. If my receptionist told me that, I would probably bring you into my office. I -hmm. would probably say, oh, Okay, well, what's up? What's what's the pitch? So, right. did you did you have a solid pitch? I and mean, that's clear coat. That's something that was already kind of established, right, in the world that you were walking into. People already did business. Right. What was that like for you to like have a product pitch? Like, is that was that comfortable? I don't, talk about I
1: don't the really remember. I mean, I know I know I was trained a little bit, and um, I don't. But I thought it was pretty compelling. I mean, I believed in the product, and I was naive. I I didn't, you know. I'll tell you a story about, about to elaborate on that later, but I really believed in the products cause it's aviation grade, you know, it's on jets. It's, it's, that it's what's being put on planes. Sure. So I'm like, well, that's easy to get on board with, you know, um, Cars. right. Yeah. Well, right. So, um, you know, I was really pitched, um, my supervisor or what have you in my train, you know, I was really sold on the, on the product and, uh, they had great marketing materials. They made it pretty easy. Um, but, you know, I think what happened was, you know, I believed in it and I showed my enthusiasm and I, I even, I, you know, I even applied the product myself in heels and, the, and a pencil skirt one or two times and it took, you know, two or three hours and I'm just sitting there literally applying the product myself to one of the, you know, the sales managers or the GM's cars to, to prove and to illustrate what the product could do, you know? And I think that that spoke to them to an extent. Um, I think that they appreciated that and the, you know, that I was willing to do that. Um, but the long and short of it is, is whether or not I got in front of the decision maker, it was it was like a long-term rejection, right? And that's the distinction, I think, between men, males and females maybe, or, uh, you know, a novice salesperson or a novice entrepreneur, as I guess I could still, you know, put myself in that category is that, you know, I might be getting in front of the decision maker, but the decision maker might just be saying no for a long time, just because I'm a woman and he appreciates or doesn't mind speaking to a woman for a couple hours a week, as opposed to all his sales guys. Um, so I think that that was the big, uh, let down is that you, I, you know, I'd work on accounts. I'd be working on accounts and pounding and and meeting with the finance director and then meeting with the GM again, and then having a meeting with all of them, you know as this young, you know, 23 year old, 22 year old. And then at the end of the day they would buy the product and then it'd be great. And then they'd say after two months, oh, well, you know Joe didn't want to really sell it that much because we have also got this other product that's $15 and 99 cents that you're competing with. So your cost versus that cost he nets a lot more money and you know so we're gonna have to give you the rest of this back and that's kind of that's what happened um so i wasn't really prepared to navigate that um and i think uh not to get into it too much but i think that that's been um and will continue to be a challenge uh with my own business is to know when yes actually means yes and to know when to you know make them sign the dotted line and when to walk away, you know?
0: I cannot tell you enough. One of the biggest lessons to learn as an entrepreneur, guy or gal, doesn't matter, is when is it, when is it worth it? Right. Um, In the beginning, now we're seven years in, in the beginning, every deal was worth it.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Even though it wasn't, even though it wasn't, retrospectively, Right. things were different you know but we were trying to establish you're trying to put yourself out there so you're trying to you know but we never did anything for free and so right. I, I recommend the same to you you know right. you did a product demo for a dealer that ain't free okay we always have a joke that the, you know the first taste is free but you got to pay for all of it right so in that world that's a really cool approach of you to do that was that a, was that a specific vehicle you chose was it their
1: car was it a showroom
0: car like that's yeah a cool. live demo that's
1: cool it was probably a, a GM's, you know, it was probably the car. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that was a cool approach because here I am, you know, in a pencil skirt and heels. I'm like 22 years old and I'm like hard laboring away, you know. Oh, so yeah. On. Now, see, now
0: you just, now you just made it all creepy now. That's what you did. And the shit, the problem is you're probably not wrong. And that, now see, but okay. Yeah. Damn it, Donna how do we, how do we approach that? Um, and so, because then it became about price all of a sudden, right? After, because that was another product exist two months previous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I didn't know again. I, uh, that's right. I, I forgot I was going to go back you to used it. the
0: word naive earlier, and I wanted you to circle back to it. Right.
1: Right. So right. I, so I go home for like winter break or whatever. And I, I see somebody out and that I know that, that worked with uh, the company um, up here that worked for my dad's company or what have you. Or, and, um, I was like, yeah, you know, it's going okay, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, um, but I mean, it's a great product. And he's like, Donna, it's Gaff. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's Gaff? And he's like, it's, it's phony, it's fake, it's nothing. These are, it's, it's just an aftermarket product. It doesn't really, do you really think it does what it says it's gonna do? And I'm like, well, so it kind of like took the wind out of my sails, but it, yeah. but it was something that I needed to hear Um, I think a little bit, and I needed to hear, you know, you're trying to sell something that's, you know, if you're trying to sell something that's over 12 times more expensive, um, than the product that's already, you know, making the, the, the dealership money, you got to bring a lot to the table, you know, um, you gotta, you gotta have a pretty, a pretty great product that's going to, that's going to sell them more units, or whatever and and gross them or net them more money um, because otherwise what, you know, where's the value? I mean, it's not that valuable to talk to a young woman once a week. It's not, you know what I mean? So- um, No,
0: and it shouldn't be, but again, let's be fair to this, right? Um, Let's look at the whole thing. So you were hired as a young woman by a company probably fairly specifically. Right. That's the reality of that. so the hiring company hired you specifically. and then from there down you went to a dealership uh, and they they did what, yeah, what I've seen my whole life that disgusts me to no end and, and it goes for women in the dealership who work there women who are you know it just it turns it into to not people anymore and not products, but right. about something else. And I find that to be annoying, but Donna, with this for a long time how do you deal with that here you are your wins taken out of the sales you find out the product you've been given is snake oil and you've also decided somewhere along the way that it could be more sex appeal than actual sale right how do you reconcile these differences and continue forward
1: well i wouldn't say it's 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 snake oil and i, I didn't want to miss misspeak well, no i understand what you mean i just
0: <laughs> i mean above <laughs> and beyond <laughs> the, the 12 times markup is snake oil or if both products right. were equal, yours wasn't twelve times better, right?
1: You mean- um, you know, honestly, I don't know that I really did. I mean, I, I think that that was kind of, I mean, school had again, school had restarted, and I was still like nurturing uh, accounts and 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 trying to, you know, further them a little bit. But you know, the few accounts that I got. Um, you know, they were either selling it or they weren't. And to appease me they maybe they hadn't returned the, the product yet or what have you, but, um, you know, it, it, it you got to know when to walk away too. And you got to know when, uh, you know, okay, this is what it is. Um, you know, I've got this guy who says he's going to buy this guy who's bought, but hasn't sold anything. And this guy who's just trying to get me on his boat every weekend. So, um, you know, m- maybe this isn't, you know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll try something else, um, you know, to make, to make money. (laughs) Okay. All
0: right. So you, you then get out, uh, out of college, I assume, right? I mean, as far Uh as that goes, do you still have any ties to the car business? Like how do you sort of make it to where you are now involved in the the car tender space?
1: Right. So I get out, I move on from the, from the, uh, selling the aftermarket stuff. And, um, I maybe did it a little, a little bit on the side here and there, um, but I actually started caddying uh, in the summer um, out in on Kiowa Island um, golf caddying. So um, obviously very different than you know. So I'm doing that for a little while, but this is around the 2007, thousand seven two thousand eight. You know the crash, the market crash, and you know there uh, the Kiowa Island visit, you know visiting was down uh, at least 40%. So I wasn't looping that much. And then finally, it just got to the point where I'd finally, I had, I had in fact graduated, uh, you know, been down there a summer. So, and my dad's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make a decision, you know, either, either we can't help, help you out at all anymore, or, you know, you can, um, come home and I can give you a job in the marketing department and see where you go from there. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm not gonna find a big corporate job, you know, I don't think here in Charleston, unless I try to study and practice to become a pro. So I guess I should probably um, just see what it would be like to, you know, market for car car dealerships, right?
0: Okay, so this is 09-ish, 08, right? Like uh, into the crash, -crash post-crash-ish. You go into a marketing department. Tell me, about, tell me about, just to give some context to the discussion, how many stores are in the group and how many people are in the department once you enter? This is 09, we'll just call it,
1: 08. Oh, Let's see, when I moved up, uh, we had just formed an in-house, actually digital marketing company or agency um, for, to manage, Gets around 11, uh, 11 rooftops, 14 franchises. Okay. I think at the time, maybe if, yeah.
0: And how many people were in the in-house department for 11 stores when you walked in?
1: Well, for the for the newly formed uh, digital advertising agency, I think, uh, you know, me and, and my supervisor, I think uh, originally it was just the two of us. And so I would manage, you know, posting listings or helping with keyword mining, um, to uh, helping write some of the verbiage on the websites, um, you know, entry-level stuff, uh, appropriately so.
0: And what was that like for you? I mean, here you are, you're back you're back home, if you will, right? You're, right? you're working for your dad's dealership. You're in marketing. Did you initially see it as exciting or did you just see it as a job?
1: I saw it as a job initially because um, I got pretty some of the stuff was a little laborious and, um, you know, didn't require much brain brain power. I mean, at one point I think I was posting all the companies used inventory on Craigslist one by one. Um, but I learned a lot about, um, I guess I learned a lot about keywords and, um, I learned a lot about the different environments, the different digital environments. And then I kind of pushed the issue after a while, after at least like probably a year when I was just like, you know, I I, I can't do this anymore or a year or two. And I'm like, I, I need to be, I need to utilize my brain a little bit more. I need to, you know, trust me. I can handle Google AdWords, let me in, let me take a stab at it, let me learn, let me give me access to analytics and all that. And then, um, That's when I really started, um, you know, getting more interest in it because I found it so interesting. Um, And then also I was starting simultaneously, I was, you know, building up our, or claiming all our social media profiles for on behalf of all the dealerships and uh, really starting to focus and and experiment with with those. Um, So yeah, then I really started to enjoy it and, you know, I was I was in it all day every day
0: because it became more of a it became more of a career, right? It became more of you looking at the whole spectrum of things. Became a uh, a way forward, right? It wasn't just Craigslist. It wasn't just inventory. It was here's the whole picture. How right. are we gonna tie this together? You're dealing in AdWords, which look if you're talking 0-9, 2010 AdWords, you're talking pretty uh, base camp there. Yeah, um, you know GA. I want to say GA came out 06, 0-7, uh, when we got into it. So in Google analytics, so Edwards, Edwards wasn't that far behind, uh, as far as that goes. Um, when you talk about challenging the brain, I like how you say that. What about analytics for you challenges your brain? Because obviously I'm a nerd for it. it's all I do every day for our clients is deal in analytics. What, what about analytics helps you challenge the brain?
1: Um, at the time, I mean at the
0: Yeah, it could be at the time, but also just in general, how you go, because I know it's a big part of what you do now. Mm-hmm. And people get stuck on data and they're kind of afraid of it. Clearly you've embraced it. So I how how did you get there with analytics when, when you first started to where you are now?
1: Well, yeah, I mean I wasn't uh, I didn't get the access or or what have you to analytics for probably until six months or a year after I had access to Google AdWords. Um, and I was I was a little intimidated by it because, and rightfully so, you know. I, I remember my supervisor or my boss or whatever being like, you know, you can just go down rabbit holes and, you know, you can you can get into this and, and drive yourself insane if you if if you you know if you look at this stuff too much and and you know you can't you can't argue with that. Um, no, no.
0: Yeah, I, I always tell people, don't go to Google Analytics. Not a Sherpa. Like if you go by yourself, set a timer, have a reason to come back because. Right. You can be you can be lost. There's too many dimensions.
1: There are. If, yeah. if you're
0: really and if you're looking, you'll find things, right? <laughs> no, no matter what. So that's for sure. Yeah,
1: you will. And um, but I think that the the distinction uh between a good marketer and a, you know maybe a not so good one, it's is identifying what actually matters. And I mean that's of course the you know the billion dollar question still now is what does really, really matter? I mean, in, in analytics and, and, you know, what affects this and what changing that, how will that affect, you know, that metric and does that matter, you know? Um, and I think that that's just evolved a lot um, since I started. And, you know, I feel like every day that I'm on LinkedIn or scrolling around, you know, somebody's making a different argument about what matters in, in analytics, right? Um, and I'm yeah. sure you would make a different argument than, than maybe I would right now, you know? so I think there's
0: a possibility that a lot of people would do that. And I think that's kind of, to me, you know, I try to be positive whenever possible. Uh, the last eight months have been weird. Yes, I agree, yeah. uh, ultimately. But um, it has showcased a couple of things in the data sets that I look at. We're, we're a historical data company. So any client that's with us, we have from day one to day now and we okay. have been with us seven years, you see the trends, you see how it all happened. And then all of a sudden, all the data changes, where it comes from, where where, where it converts better. And, and that's a real thing. So right now, um, I don't know, do you want to talk about what matters right now? Do you want to get into that and have that kind of a fun discussion? Or do you want to stay away from it because you're just not sure what does matter either? Um, well,
1: for I'm actually just we don't have to dive too deep into it but i'm all just about um landing page views that, well at least from a facebook analytics perspective um i don't care about clicks i care about you know who's actually allowed the site to open up and you know qualify as not a bite bot or a spider um that landing page views is is my metric right now so um you know Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. I don't know how you feel about it. I dig it.
0: it. Are you, well, I don't want to get too nerdy on people, but the Google Analytics is coming out with what's called G4. It's been in beta for about six months. They're going to release it. It's going to be a whole new way to look at analytics data. Um, It's not going to come with a lot of things people are used to, but one of the things they talk a lot about in the new version is page views. Um, A lot of what they talk about is engagement. You see, they're getting away from trying to say this happened over this time. And we must all remember, please, people, write this down. Google Analytics was invented for e-commerce businesses. Right. Okay. This was not invented for car dealers. Right. So All the things you guys try to do with it, you're bending it to its will. You're making it do and see what you want to see. I get all that, but it isn't how it's designed. And that's the only reason we care about attribution is because we could track it. That was the first big pitch. If you were sitting in a marketing department in 2009, you heard all the time from vendors say to you, well, look, you can track it. It's on the internet. You can track it. And that evolved or devolved, if you ask me, that devolved into the conversation about, well, who should take credit for it? Donna, you were looking over 11 stores. Did you have to have these discussions even then about why would we spend the money? How many cars did we sell from every dollar we were spending? Or did that evolve or again, devolve over the last 10 years? How did that start off conversationally for you and Mark?
1: No, I remember our strategy, you know, we were, you know, we were just focusing on clicks at the time and, you know, getting just visitors to the dealership and um, leads Um, that was really the, you know, the focal point. So as far as I'm trying to think of how it went down when I was, when I was really pushing for us to start advertising on Facebook. Um,
0: Do you remember when that would have been?
1: Yeah, I think it was probably, it was around 2011, 2012, really early on, really early on. And I'm just like, you know, we've, I just said, you know, data or no data wouldn't it make sense to, you know, reallocate resources and ensure that, we're, that we are, where people are, you know, whatever happens after that, we'll see, but we just at least have to be where people are now, you know, um, and it seems like they're heading, you know, they're on their phones, they're on this Facebook thing. Um, and um, so long as we are there now and we get in early, Uh, you know, and we position ourselves and, you know, we build up some historical data or credibility uh, in the auction, Um, you know, perhaps that will, you know, be advantageous for us in the future. I don't know if Facebook advertising will be a huge thing, but I feel like it might be. So let's go, you know, and, um, but, you know, I don't know if, if I don't recall, again, if I had to use um, if I used a lot of data to support that theory, or if I just kind of, you know, kind of went on a hunch on it and maybe I, I probably used like usership statistics to, that makes sense. I also yeah. say
0: the fact of the matter is Donna at the time, digitally speaking, you were probably either one or one, A of smartest people in the room with the people you were talking to about digital marketing. Um,
1: not Well,
0: I mean, I mean when you're talking to GMs who've been doing this their whole lives, they they tend to push back on it. You know right. I mean they tend to not want to deal with it. So they're happy to have you deal with it. and if you think it needs to go there, you use the word reallocation, which I really appreciate you saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to we need more money, we need more money. It's reallocation to, uh, as I wrote down, be where people are. I think I think you can probably sum marketing up in just that sentence, Donna. So good yeah. job um and, and i think that's as far as the job needs to go because if the message is worth the shit, mm-hmm. when you show up where people are they'll remember it right i mean that's the point here
1: right right i had i mean you know we had a lot of i had a i had a lot of hits and a lot of misses you know and and oh you know posting matters posting every day matters you've got to post on your page you got to get people in your you know you got to get people to like your page and you got to get people to you know and you got to post and it's like you know I'm sure almost everybody kind of realizes at this point that for the most part, unless you've got two-way correspondences happening all the time, nobody really cares what a dealership's doing on a day-to-day basis, unless you know, unless you got something where your salespeople are involved and it's, you know, or your and and your customers are involved. You know, it's it's hard to really push um, engagement on people when nobody when nobody really values. What you're talking about, you know. Um, so it, it's tricky. I mean, we tried all sorts of stuff. Um, we had a we had a tr- one campaign, like a tweets for turkeys campaign. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. We're gonna like sell so many cars, and people are gonna come in for their free turkey. And then at the end of it, uh, I think um, one of my friends was like the only one that actually like <laughs> organically came in and got a turkey. But at the end of the day, we donated, you know, hundreds of turkeys to like local shelters. So it was a win either way, but um, that's, that was definitely one of the, one of the misses. Um, yeah,
0: but you know what? The, the only way that you can have swings and misses is to always be swinging, right. okay? Yeah. And the only way to make contact is to swing. And the only way to miss contact is to swing. So I give you all the credit in the world, but again, I feel like that really ties into being an entrepreneur at heart and understanding that rejection and failure for the most part is a part of the journey. It isn't the whole journey. We don't have to act like we're, we're martyrs of the, of the community of working people, right? Like, right. oh my gosh, feel bad for entrepreneurs, all this failure. It's right. not always like that. But Donna, you've been dealing with tech for a year and a half trying to build something out. Um, how did that passion come up for you to even want to begin that journey down that entrepreneurial road? In tech, especially.
1: Well, ironically, I'm not. I'm not very. I'm not that tech savvy. Um, but I'll get into that. So when I did, when I left uh, the company, my former company in, in late 2017, started my own thing, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to offer you know digital advertising services to um, on my own. You know, I'll, I'll start my own little business and um, get you know handful of clients, excuse me, and go from there. Um, so I got, you know, I got a client after a while and it took a while and, um, and then they gave me a couple more stores cause things were, things were going well. And then, um, you know, I, I got a couple, a couple more stores and then, you know, we got a couple snowstorms and their Toyota store did not do well the first month I had them. And so they canceled everything and, um, it was this, it was unfortunate, but either way, um, I realized in throughout that process, I'm like, okay, I'm working myself, I, you know, cause I'm very thorough and I'm very particular. And, uh, I, you know, my ad copy, my ads, I'm very specific. I get very, very specific, specific and granular um, with my ads and my strategy. So I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to scale this in any capacity unless I a you know, hire, you know, actually build a company or I, um, oh, who's that? <laughs>
0: that's my kitty. That's, ah, that's, that's Zen. He's, Yep, he's well, here now. That. Yep, nope, he's oh boy. All <laughs> right, well he's up on a desk now. So sorry anyway, I have an open door policy even at my own home. So I love you know, it. He runs he runs the place. And so here of course he does. I'm yeah, surprised awesome. All right, sorry. So here we are. Continue forward. So you learned really quickly that there was I need the, a... the scaling part is interesting though. I give you a lot of credit for realizing that early on because we did the exact same thing. Yeah. We wanted to be the next big training company. We were gonna be the biggest. We were gonna be the baddest. We're gonna be all these things. And ten seconds into it, we looked at each other and we went, "How are we gonna scale this? Yeah. What are you talking about? How are you gonna? How am I gonna manage two hundred clients? How it's not a thing. We have to hire people, and that's just that's headache. So, what was that like for yourself, though? Because that's an entrepreneurial part of the journey. What was that? What was that like to realize? Oh boy, this I, I do have to do something different.
1: Yeah. So I was like, you know, I went down the whole rabbit hole of I either need to build a company, which I kind of probably don't really want to do right now because we're heading, you know, technology is just taking off to the point where I just need to build an autom- um, an automation platform. Um, so, you know, here I am drawing up all these, you know, uh all these user interface are the um I can't think yeah, of like it. schematics
0: going on back there. Right. You got the, the user journey all bubbled out with attachments to bubble this. We call them the spider yeah. webs like our biz because that's how we started. We take one big idea and we just webbed off of it. Webbed
1: right. off right.
0: Cool, you're watching so, the user journey. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So I um was trying to design the interface and I, I teamed up with a, a programmer. And then, you know, he brought on even more programmers. And, and I was like, you know, I, um, I just want to eliminate, you know, as much friction as absolutely possible. So this needs to be automated. This means needs, needs to be, you know, I'm scanning the website, I'm extracting information. I don't need to be hooking up with no data feeds or inventory feeds. I don't need to be paying no DMS. I don't want to be dealing with any of that. The second, a, 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 you know, a company or a dealer. Says I'm I'm on board. I want to be able to click a button and have you know, 16,000 ads automatically generated. I mean, I created ad copy templates, like I think like 80 or 90 different verbiage and different ad copy and and stuff like that and templates for different cars and different trims and different pricing, all to fit in you know the allocated character limit. It was you know tenuous would be another statement. So after about eight months of that i'm just like you know i I don't know if i'm gonna get you know and then there's like the the auto lead stars and google and and you know team velocity they're already doing all this stuff and i'm like you know i i'm this one woman operation here but what i have already built is how to you know collect the data and i built that and that that's proprietary and it's different than what everybody else how everybody else is doing it and i know that it is so that was the gem and i'm like well maybe just collecting the data the inventory is enough what about all the analytics and what about all the information and the education and the intelligence that can be extracted and generated from just the inventory the inventory is all that really matters here you know i mean having the right cars is, is always going to be a little bit more important than how much you're pushing it out to the to the audience right so um, that's, that's how that whole journey got started. And then I just kind of, you know, was it not this past summer, but the summer before at the end of the summer, I was just like, no, let's just stop here, you know, and now, you know, create this interface and, and these dashboards that will show, um, you know, what's working and what's not and what to be buying and what not to be buying and when to change the price, because, you know, maybe down the road, automated price. And automated, you know, uh, vehicle purchasing and configuration purchasing should probably be, you know, data backed, and it should probably be a computer decision to an extent, um, you know, other than seasonality and, and external external factors.
0: I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of that that goes into it. And again, silver lining to the last eight months, I think people have learned that about their inventory that there yeah. is there is a specific way to stock. Um, you hope the OEMs learn lessons. I've been doing this long enough to know they have not. Yeah. or will not. And if they have, they don't care enough to do anything about it. But as dealers, you can pick and choose your inventory differently. I think you'll see turn times be different on in inventory. Uh, I think you'll see people, people really sharpen their skills in selecting vehicles because of limited availability. So I think those skills right. will transfer, uh, but they have to want to use it, you know? So I'm excited yeah. to hear more about and see more as you get going on, you know, kind of pre- bringing that to the public. I know, look, I deal with vendors every day. That's my world in the space. So when I hear the word beta, I think to myself, close, close, but is it close enough where someone will pay for it? Right. And that's yeah. what it will come down to for you. And that's your next step in the journey, right. Is to bring it to market. I assume.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, a couple of people are already paying for it. So, cool. you know, um, yeah. But you know, as far as you know, the automated pricing and 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 the you know the purchasing applications and all that, that I'm not there yet. But um, what it is right now is just you know more of an accountability platform and and you know an easy way to to see your your inventory or understand what your pricing looks like. Uh, the in the same vein or the same way from the customer's perspective, as opposed to having to open it, you know, go to your website every day, you know. Uh, Maybe, you know, Scott, who manages your internet manager, missed a zero when he was putting in that price sale price yesterday, or, you know, some of these automated uh, pricing rules are getting a little out of hand, I think. Um, you walk away from it, and you forget to look at it, and it's like, oh, wait, I applied another another 20% discount or, you know, 4% discount if it's that, if it's, you know, another 35 days old like whoa that's too much now it's i'm i'm no longer compliant or what have you so it's interesting it's cool yeah you've
0: got to be careful with set it and forget it anything i think i think it's important that people continually be inspecting accountability you know that's how we built what we do so i totally i totally get that um when you circle back to the way people will utilize your tool uh is there a competitor's because that's all you remember i don't know if you remember when you're in dealerships, but it would be like hey sean go look at these 14 websites to see what they're doing for price you know and you're like Right. I'm really going to spend my day doing this. And then you'd come back and you'd say, okay, yep, yeah, yeah. Here's what everyone's doing. The price they go. Great. Uh, I don't, I don't really, I question these three prices. Can you start mystery shops on these three stores? And you're just like, oh my God, like we're so, we're so worried about what other people are doing. We, we don't pay enough attention. And I think Donna right now, five months ago, you were holding gigantic new car gross. So the right. way you priced your cars five months ago was different.
1: Right today
0: everyone's inventory is catching up now you couldn't possibly price that car there is that what you're hoping is the genesis of your technology is to show people that hey maybe during the summer it's cool to have your price here but we prove out every winter you do not want to have your prices here because this is not what will be attractive is that
1: right is that along the lines um are you asking if if
0: if, yeah, but what you're working that, on is that sort of in the in the world of trying to help educate and show them the the, the pricing kind of limits that, that 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 are out there as far as what they can do with it.
1: Um, well, you know, I, I I I haven't really utilized it that much to the, in that capacity. But what I have noticed is that that pricing. Um, a lot of pricing is not as aggressive as it was in the summertime. A lot of uh, a lot of dealers actually aren't even um, putting sale prices on their cars too, um, yeah. they're not overly anxious to move units when you know they've only they know that their next allocation is only going to be X and they have only got Y left in stock. So they're still I think they're still grossing, um, holding some pretty decent gross. But I think maybe what you know. piggyback a little bit I think off of what you're trying to say is I don't know how much price matters sale prices really matter um period Hmm.
0: interesting um price price is not all that matters is that is that what I'm hearing from you
1: I I I can't say it with absolute certainty but it's interesting because I'll be like well this guy has you know he's dropping his pants over here it's you know he's advertising more he's and then and then, you know, but this guy with comparable inventory uh, in stock, I don't know, why is he crushing him every time he's outselling him, you know, so it's really fascinating. Um, it's, it's kind of a fascinating en- enterprise, you know, um, uh, to, but I can't say it with certainty, but I don't, it, it depends on the car and it also depends on the product and the and the customer and the price yeah. point, but You know, does that extra $750 really matter all the time? Does that extra, you know, dropping, oh, I want to be $50 below him, you know,
0: I don't know. Oh, okay. All right. So here's what I always say to people. I always say to people that price isn't why people buy cars. It is why they search for cars. It is how they begin to build a list because at the end of the day, the majority of people are bound by price. One way or another, whether if they can write a check for this or they can have a payment of this, they are still bound
1: by by price. By budget.
0: Fair enough. Then you're right. Let's put it as money. I like that. So Mm -hmm. people are bound by money decisions, whether it's what fits their budget, what they can write a check for. Maybe they got inheritance and they want to put it towards a car, but that inheritance is only X. Whatever it is, I've been doing this long enough to have heard most of it. So if if all they do is start their search by price, they start to figure out where they want to be then there has to be something else that pushes them over the edge. I had my buddy, Ben Hadley on uh, the show a while back, uh, right before he became a dad. You know, Ben, you've probably followed and seen his work. You guys have a lot of, you two have a lot in common. So if you haven't already connected on a deeper level, you should, uh, because you guys have a lot of agreements along the way. And, and Ben's point was this, why do we have the $500 coupon on the website? Really, right. is someone saying to themselves, but honey, really, let's today's the day I just got a coupon for five hundred dollars from the website, I, to me it screws up the user experience. You know, right. I like I like the user experience to be clean. Am I missing something, or is that is that just is that me being old?
1: No, I I don't know. I mean, I you know, it's tricky. I mean, everybody at the same time, everybody wants a deal, right? I mean, so it's like, oh, we can save five hundred bucks, and and it's and it works, but then it's you know, I don't respond to that kind of, that that kind of messaging. And I don't respond, you know, um, I think, again, I think it depends on the the market. I think it depends on the brand um, and the budget. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, you've got the Brian Ben stocks of the industry that are selling what, what does he do? Six, 700 Hondas a month. I mean, and, and you go to his website and I think they're using a team Velocity's Apollo or one of their Apollo uh, team velocity just got into the website game pretty recently. And, and it's like, you know, do you want to buy in the store? or Do you want to buy um, online right here? That's, that's the, that's the opening I, I looked at the website the other day after uh, David Boyce post about a position there. So I'm like looking at that and I'm like, how many dealership websites have the start the conversation just like that? It's no, it's, it's pop up here, pop up here, pop up here, pop up here, Sunday, 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 Sunday. And it's like, help, help me. Yes. Ah, I, I don't want it anymore. Sorry. I, I'll just I'll just not buy a car for another six years, you know?
0: I'll go somewhere else at minimum, right? I'll I'll look to do it somewhere else. So you bring it up. Here it is, right? Buy online, buy in the store. Uh, The big debate, digital retail. How are we going to handle this? What will we all do? Blah, blah, blah. I was doing digital retail in 2005. So I don't really want to hear about the idea of being convenient to your customer. Anyone can do it. But you recently sold your car, not to a dealership, do I understand this correctly? Correct me if I'm wrong. You sold your car to the online retailer. I don't, I don't, I don't get paid by them, so I don't use their name. But you use the online retailer uh, to trade to, to sell your car. Do I have that correct? Did I see that post correctly?
1: Right. Uh, yes. Wait. So it's is are there like legal implications if I? No, no, no. I joke.
0: No, I just I just don't like them, so I don't say their name. No, I don't. know. Oh. Fine. No, no they're, they're, they're 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 total pain in my ass for a lot of my clients because they have. Here's the shitty thing, and I won't go too deep into this. They have different rules for third-party providers for for that company than they do dealerships with brick-and-mortar stores. Okay, That's a problem for me because of how you allow for radiuses and how you charge existing dealers to let other people come in who do not have a physical location, which has been a rule since the beginning of third-party time. And now all of a sudden, if people give you enough money, they don't have to have a physical location and they they can actually show above the people who do. So again, that's just personal shit. I don't care for it. They'll all tell me it doesn't happen. You're all liars. I see it happen every single day. Isn't that so a third-party party providers? Don't call me. Don't tell me. I, I've already seen.
1: It, so. Isn't that that's a third-party issue though? How's that a? Yeah. No. That- no. It's
0: it's it's because they've created the space. No. No. You're right. you're absolutely right. I just I it's created a headache for yeah. me, and uh, and I don't I won't buy a car that way uh, because for me it's still a personal experience. Right. So I still want to be in a in a car in a deal, and I don't buy cars the way any most consumers buy cars. I walk into someone's office. Yes, that car. Yes, that price. Have a nice day. So it's it's not digital retail. It's Sean retail. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's a personal thing. I'm also not a huge fan of of electric cars, so I'm not a Tesla fan either. It's the personal. Right. And then I can get into all those rules for that. But no, for you, how did you how did you end up at car, at, at at their at their front desk? to trade at your
1: car? Um, well, I actually pretty much, I, I kind of am a fan of the business model. So, but but uh, besides the point, I kind of, you know my brother's a dealer, my my other brother's the used car auction buyer for a local auto group. My, you know, my, my oldest brother's not a dealer. I mean, he's a GM of a Ford store. So I'm like, you know, I know a lot of local dealers. I'm like, Hey, what do you, you know I'm trying to sell my SQ5. And you know, I didn't really get much. uh, They're like, "Oh, you could probably do this, or you know, see what's going on at Carmax or whatever. They'll probably hook it up." But you know, we're we're in an awkward time right now. I mean, this was right after you know the bulk or or the big hit of COVID. So um, I think that there was not fear, but just you know, it's it's not you know, it doesn't make the most sense for us to spend that kind of money on a, you know, a higher end vehicle at this time, you know, to allocate that kind of money and, and give you what you want. So, um, so I was like, Hey, you know what, maybe I should just try to try Carvana, see if it's actually as easy as they allege. Um, and so I just went to the website, you know, typed in the, you know, uh, VIN and all that, and boom, there was my offer.
0: So you get the offer and right away you're like, yeah, I'm in. I mean, how does that how does that work for you once you get the offer? Like, did you make any other decisions? Do any shopping? Did you already have a number in mind And they hit the number? Like, how did that go for you? And was it all strictly online or was there any kind of call BDC type communication after that?
1: Um, so it was, uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the offer. I was thinking, you know, at least, you know, a couple thousand below it. Um, And then they wanted, um, so I was pleased at this point, right? The next, the next step was, you know, okay, well, you know, please provide any, you know, additional pictures or disclose anything that you you think may affect, you know, um, as far as refurbishing your vehicle or whatever. And I was like, oh, I guess I've got a couple scratches, you know, I should disclose that. Um, So I did, and you know, the the price went down like I think maybe like three hundred and sixty bucks or three hundred bucks. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, that'll be that. And, um, and yeah, I was pretty much sold from that. And I got a couple of text messages. I, 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 uh, uh, scheduled an appointment cause I actually, as much as I, you know, do appreciate, you know, digital delivery and, and the Amazon of things. Um, I, I was like, I want to go down there. Cause I want to see what the operation's like. Cause I want to see if they're, um, if they sell from, if, if it's a dealership, you know, if they're, if yeah. they're, if they take walk ins. Um, so I scheduled the appointment. I got a couple text messages here and there to confirm and to say, you know, you've got to do this, you know, you got to get this from Audi uh, Financial. Uh, just bring that, then should be good to go, you know. So I go down there for my appointment. Um, and a young lady comes out and does, you know, a walk around, takes some pictures. Um, Prints out some paperwork and hands me a check.
0: That was it. So you said you're a fan of the business model. What are you a fan of?
1: Um, well, for th- that experience alone was pretty easy. You know, um, what could have any
0: know, dealers have done that to you if they had the right website set up and gave you a trade appraisal online, couldn't the same thing have happened locally? I mean, yeah. I realize you talked to people in the business who were afraid to buy cars, and at the moment, I get that the the company you dealt with never slowed down; they never stopped, which is the success that a lot of people who are still having success today are the ones that never stopped. They mm-hmm. knew it was going to happen; they knew there were going to be downtime. So, is is there anything that I guess that's my question? Is there anything that you experienced that a dealership with or act together couldn't have delivered to you? Um,
1: no, not 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 really. But I think that they focus. Um, they focus on the real-time needs and wants of that market. Uh, I believe, I think they do more than more than the next guy. I think that they, if I had to guess, I think that they're tracking um, what people are searching in specific markets on their website. Um, uh, you know, they're paying attention and they're listening, and they and they listen. They listen to the customer to the point. Um, you know that that it's just going to get better and better. Um, in the same capacity, I I feel that you know Amazon has done. Um, and when you listen to what people want, and you're always there, and you're offering you know anticipatory service, and you know what? Okay, well if they want that now, then they're going to want this in three months. Or if they want that now, then they'll probably want this eventually. And you know, paying attention to that, you know, you're that's where customer delight just just naturally organically happens to the point where, um, you know, it was exciting. And um, to be excited about doing business with a company, you know, is kind of rare these days, in my opinion. Um, you know, there, I thought that there was just so much value and in the technology and the investments that they've made um, into changing this experience and doubling down on themselves, you know, and, and not wavering and not having a guidebook and, and, you know, kind of trying to go it alone and, and, um, uh, and, and take this path it, it's, it's risk. And maybe I, maybe I value that or, uh, appreciate that more than the next guy or gal or what have you. Um, as, but I just respected that. I respect that. And, um, I respect where they've spent money and where they've made allocated their budgeting and how they've adapted their business model along the way. Um, I just thought, I, I just think it's cool. I think it's respectable. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's gonna necessarily put this business on its, you know, you know what tomorrow, but eventually maybe um, if, if dealers don't adapt, but again, Another, you've got the Brian Benstocks of the world that are doing it. So, yeah. Yeah, there are
0: there are, there are people who, again, there, there are sharp people who understand it. And there are those in communities that just, that they don't feel like they have to do it, you know? And Not yet. I, I live in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. I just saw a the most basic Chevy Malibu with a Carvana plate on it. And I thought to myself- Why? You had to pass six stores in <laughs> rural Wisconsin that are all Chevy stores. that got six of those sitting out front what in the and then i went into it and i thought well it's just someone that's what they wanted you know that's how that that they didn't want to be hassled they believed in whatever they believe in and that's fine with me it's interesting though that you bring up the the determination part of it and i want to tie it back together because you've been very gracious with your time i really appreciate it Mm -hmm. um when you talk about the 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 staying the course do you find that to be one of the more difficult parts for you as an entrepreneur in being able to stay the course and and continually have that vision because that's what I find to be difficult at times is to just to not want to go off and to continually be something different or continually adding service. We do one thing at my company, right? All we do, but we do it great, but no one does it like us. And that's how it is. And I don't really want to add another service. How do you uh, keep that all in perspective for yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point. Um, it's, it's tough. Um, it's exhausting, right? Um, It is, it is. It's It's exhausting. And um, I don't know. I can't. I, I think that the only explanation, I, I can't stop. I don't know wh- why. I don't know. I, I just can't. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what mindset, it is. Mindset,
0: right? You just You just wake up and you just go about your business and you don't, yeah. you don't really think about it. I don't really have any fear. I used to, when we started off, as I told yeah. you in the pre-show, I was bullied by some larger companies. So I had some concerns about why I was doing what I was doing, but at the end of the day, I'm not afraid of anything or anyone to be clear. And so when, when, when I feel like I'm back against the wall, I feel like I perform better. Is Is that, is that similar for you? Or do you just feel like your vision is just unwavering and you just continue forward just because that's the vision?
1: No, I would. I'm going to be honest in that, you know, I've, I've been a victim of, I would say, a, you know, considerable brain rape for the, for the better, you know, last year. And I've been disappointed and, and, but I'm, I hope, and I feel that I am evolving to the point where I am getting to a mentality that that you have, Sean, because I, I think that that's the only way you can, you can actually last or build something to last in this industry is if I don't have the resilience and if I can't outperform when, you know, the, the odds are stacked against me, then I, then what am I doing here? You know, I'm not going to survive. And, and obviously I appreciate a challenge. Obviously I've got my work cut out for me and, and I love, I do not feel uncomfortable being the underdog. I think perhaps what'll be more telling or difficult is, is, um what's going to happen when it starts selling and you know what happens if it if it becomes what i want it and expect it to be you know maybe that's scarier than than still just being the little Yeah, know? no, it's a,
0: it's a careful what you wish for situation i remember right. sitting at a man, it was a family thanksgiving a couple of years ago with uncles of mine that are really really successful and uh, i just sat with both of them i said look company's blowing up company's growing you Know what am I gonna do? I don't like employees, I don't like the idea of employees, I don't like the idea of headaches, I don't, I don't have children, so I don't, I just I'm a very quiet, I don't, I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. And my, my one uncle looks at me and says, Well, do you want to do you want a million dollar business or you want a five million dollar business? I said, I don't understand the difference. He said, A million dollar business, you can have everything you've ever wanted in your life and the time to enjoy it. Right. Five million dollar business means it's all downhill, but money. Right. All you'll have is money. You won't have time, you won't have friends, you won't have relationships, you may not even have a wife, but you will have a very wealthy company. Right. Uh, and I chose a million dollar route because I have no interest in, 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 I'm okay with not being uber wealthy. I'm okay with not using my private jet every weekend. I'm okay with, I mean, the, the, none of that bothers me. I, right. I, I'm fine with it. Um, is, I, that for, is that a drive for you entrepreneurially? Cause it can't be about money. You no. can't be, you, yeah. you can't be an entrepreneur for money. I get, we all look at what gets sold and all those big companies. Oh, they were unbelievable. Right. That's different. Is it for you? It's gotta be the drive to, to be in, in control. Is that right?
1: I think it's a it's yeah, I think it's a drive to do something of credibility, value and impact, um, especially as a woman. And I know that sounds so cliche and silly, but um, I I think it's a driving force for me. Um, and I feel like it's my duty to to the gender and to society to you know, utilize the fact that I enjoy a lot of, I, I get along with men and I enjoy a lot of things that a lot of, you know, women don't typically enjoy. So I'm trying to utilize these things to, um, you know, to evolve the industry and and women in business in general. And, and again, I know how ridiculously, disgustingly cliche that sounds, but I think at the end of the day, I think that's really a driving, a driving force for me that because if, 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 I don't do it, if I'm not a vendor, you know, there, there's not that many else others out there. So if I don't do it, then who will.
0: And it's not cliche when it's a reality. Okay. Right. I get, I, people say it to me all the time, the reality is that's what you, you're up against it. Okay. Right. You are up against it and, and, uh, and it's not fair. We all agree to that, but it doesn't matter. Because it's the reality that you live in today is that you have to approach things differently than I do. Right. Do I think it sucks? I do. Would I like it to not be this way? I would. What can we do? We can have conversations like this. We can continue to be talking amongst people about what other what makes people tick. You know, why people someone asked me the other day, why are you doing a whole season just about women? Why can't it just be about people in business? Because I've been doing things about people in business for a long time, right, I want to focus on something that's very specific and important to me. As I said to you, I my mother is a female entrepreneur and has been my whole life. It is what I know. It is what feeds who I am. So, uh, Donna, what advice to close this up would you give to women? To not I mean maybe to get in the car business, but more more to to fuel their entrepreneurial side. What what advice would you give them?
1: Um. I would have to say, trust yourself. Just trust yourself, and um, yeah, trust yourself, and don't and don't and don't waver. You know, um, and you know what I'm learning again very quickly too is that choose your battles and um, surround yourself with uh, men. If you really want to get this done in a male dominated industry, it's, it's your fight. It's, it's a man's fight. For-
0: and you bring, and that, that way you have them on your side, working for you as opposed to against you. Uh, and no, it's no different to take us full circle. It's no different than why you were hired mm-hmm. all those years ago to sell products to dealers mm-hmm. because you were a female, because you'd have a better chance of walking into a dealership right now. If you and I walked into a dealership as is today, you have a way better chance of sitting down with somebody and pitching them your product than I would. Maybe
1: that's not amazing. for the right reasons, but that doesn't have to matter all the time. We it's don't have to judge. reality, us. right? right. Even, though, even though that shit is
0: cliche, it is cliche to think that right. you would get more time in a dealership than I would, but it is a mad reality of today's world. and And everybody, that's really what I want you to be hearing about today is that it does not matter – woman, man, or anyone else, entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. It is a spirit. It is a feeling. It is something that drives you to be not just stuck in the cog. So Donna, thank you so much for being on the show. You are an absolute delight.
1: Oh, thank you. So are you. You really are.
0: You are great. I love your conversation. I love that you like to just talk and have fun about the business and who you are and where you're headed. So please keep it up uh guys anyone out there guys and gals anyone out there looking donna's pretty heavy on i would say linkedin that's where i see you i don't know if you participate in other places i do not so LinkedIn. i do not know but you'll find down all over linkedin obviously this episode will be there uh, we thank you guys so much for watching and uh, donna thanks again have yourself a wonderful day
1: thank you so much appreciate it